welcome to CityWare Selectors podcast. Uh, joining me today is Nick Samuels, uh, Head of Manager Research at Reddington, and Nisha Lon, Head of ESG and Cross-Border Research at CityWire. Nisha, Nick, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Nick, uh, one of the first starting points for this podcast is actually to discuss your impressions of being a judge of Gender Diversity Awards, because we held our very first ones in uh, 2020, and last year it was the second go, and you were one of the new judges who joined the panel. And what we were trying to do with the whole kind of like awards uh, initiative is to highlight asset management firms that are doing a good job at promoting their female fund management talent through the ranks. And I think it was important for us to have that judging panel to establish what is that exactly firms doing, because numbers is one thing, but to understand which diversity and inclusion practices actually contribute to those numbers to be improving, that's a completely different story. So Nick, over to you. Firstly, why you thought it was an interesting th thing to do from your perspective? And secondly, maybe what were the most interesting takeaways from the judging process for you? Well, I, I, it's really important for, for us as a, as a firm, both in terms of the way we run our own firm, but also when we're analysing asset managers and putting ratings on funds, the diversity of the investment team in particular is really important to us, but also then the diversity of the overall asset management firm. Um, and so what we, but, but I guess we're, we're, we're sort of quite negative, really, you know, in that we're, we're, we're analysing this data and then uh, we, don't, we don't necessarily give managers credit as such although obviously forms part of our overall um decision to make a, to put a rating on or not but but we when we engage with the fund manager we sort of we're having a bit, bit of a moan really we're saying you know your scores aren't good enough here you don't have enough uh women or your gender pay gaps too wide and we we end up being sort of you know the more negative like um with a stick you know we were sort of beating them with the stick and, and and then then when citywire asked me about the awards i was i thought actually you know what that's quite a nice counter to that really because we're, we're not we don't do that ourselves we're not going around and praising success uh, and actually you, you know you need some carrot alongside of the stick and and so i really like the idea of of being able to play at least a little little part on on both sides so that was really my thinking behind behind uh signing up um and then uh, yeah the awards themselves i mean they, they were it was interesting i think um one i mean obviously the managers there was there was a reliance on the, on the data which citywide really which, which collects which is which is amazing data and really really powerful and then we asked the managers themselves to to submit um written justifications um you know alongside the questions that, that all of us judges agreed were were important what, what, one of the things I noticed actually was that um, some of the responses weren't as good as I thought they could be in that actually I was aware of managers doing more than they were stating on, on the responses, um, which surprised me a little bit, um, you know, that they weren't really sort of putting their best foot forward. And obviously we had the, the Judges' Choice uh, Award, which, which was able to sort of navigate around that a bit which was great um but yeah sometimes i just i just thought the manager could, could actually have said more than they did say in in, in the response which i thought was quite interesting mm -hmm. thank you nick well nisha you are the powerful driver behind the idea of the awards and the whole data behind them so i'm sure like both you and nick were in the panel together but uh, do you have any kind of like follow-ups for nick based on what you've discussed and we've all discussed together 
first of all, I have to agree with Nick. I think some of the submissions that we did have during the awards, um, it was quite surprising that some of the bigger groups didn't actually answer, you know, specifically what we were looking for in the um, the questions. And um, I think sometimes with, you know, the power that you have behind these big groups, I, I, it was very surprising that some of the responses didn't allude to, you know, what they are doing within their um, companies. And, um, you know, they, they were all shortlisted, those companies that we sent submissions to. They all are doing something, you know, good towards diversity. But um, it's just highlighting, um those, it would have been a bit better for those companies, I think, as well. I think we started to be a bit subjective and having our own knowledge of these companies through our manager selection processes that we have come to learn from our own practices, you know, how to analyze these companies. But I think um, just for general educational purposes around it, I think it would have been better if some were better in those kind of responses. Um, and I think, um, as um, Nick said as well, because I've been working on the Alpha Female project for many years now, and it always was, oh, it's only 10%. Oh, it's gone up to 11% female fund managers. And it was very much, you know, the negative side that, oh, what can we do? But it was never those companies that had, you know, the 20%, you know, higher percentage and really excelling over the years in producing you know, pulling those numbers even further upwards to actually praise those companies and see what they were doing um, that we can even learn from and other companies can learn from and smaller firms can learn from if they haven't got, you know, the the um, backing or the people resources that they need to have this within their companies. And so it was very interesting, informative, educational for me also of what is out there in terms of policies, um, which really attracted me, especially the ones around parental leave, um, which has taken a massive leap forward, in my opinion, in the last two years itself with the COVID pandemic and flexibility of working. And it was great just to see those are, you know, coming through the pipeline. Mm-hmm. So what, what you mentioned about parental leave is actually quite interesting in the whole remote work, because I thought some of the biggest gaps in the questionnaires were around flexible work. And I just cannot help but wonder why we had that kind of issue with responses. So Nick, I don't know if you noticed that as well, because I remember that being one thing that did surprise me a little bit. And what kind of issues can come with that hesitancy to actually give disclosure on these kind of like specific uh, metrics? I, I, mean, I think geography plays a part. Um, so your survey was very global. Uh, it was very European and also US orientated. And then within each country, you'll have different regulation, um, different sort of practices, I suppose. Um, and you know, the, the US is, has always been historically uh, less generous with maternity and unsurprisingly paternity as well, for instance, than, than perhaps we are here in the UK or, or, or some countries within Europe. So I think that probably does play a, a bit of a part, just that very wide ge- geographical split. And so when you're comparing these different firms, some some will come off badly just simply because they're headquartered in a country where where you know they're a little bit further behind, perhaps on on, on issues such as um, paternity. So you know it, it's 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 a difficult one to do. Uh, it's a difficult one to generalise, I suppose, in that sense. And and you need to. Um, drill down into each firm and, and try and understand their circumstances and and really then it's just about f- direction of travel and, and hoping that they are looking at this and they are trying to make improvements and um, maybe they can only make incremental ones because of regulation or, you know or, or, or um, 
or, or competition potentially or something like that so it's just it's just sort of understanding the nuances in each case i think mm-hmm. nisha we've been updating the questionnaire in stuff with with time so to say because we realized with the pandemic it's impossible to not talk about remote work and the impact it might have had on female fund managers for example so why was it important uh, to review that aspect and secondly have you noticed any trends as well compared to even a year ago yeah, absolutely. I think one of the barriers or the question that we used to get a pushback on um, in previous years was on flexibility. It wasn't a tried and tested method either. So it wasn't that, OK, you can work from home. It was almost a setback that, you know, this job you didn't allow flexibility. You have to be in the office to share ideas, etc., which, you know, to some point you do. Um, but I think now, because of the pandemic, it's a tried and tested thing in fund management and in other industries as well, that flexibility can work. And, you know, some, a lot of firms were saying, you know, three days a week for people to come in, you know, two days a week or have that flexibility, you know, to meet your peers and still talk to each other. But then just knowing that during all those lockdown periods, everything still moved forward. Yes, we did have a crazy market where returns were so high and phenomenal, but those fund managers were still capturing those gains. And on the downside, they were still, you know, protecting capital during those um, months at the right at the beginning of the pandemic. So, I think now that we've tried and tested it, you know, there are, there is a hybrid working situation that can happen, which will work for different firms, whether it be a smaller or a bigger um, firm. But um, a lot of Fund managers have been saying as well that rather than having to travel, take out now a day at a time for traveling to go and meet the companies, you know, that you could just go onto a Zoom call, ask those specific questions that you wanted to. Obviously, it's not the same as, you know, walking around to having, you know, that feeling that you do need to have and you to really see the culture of a company, etc. And that can only really happen in person. But just getting those, you know, snap you know, sometimes it's, the processes have been made easier and quicker because you can just ask them quicker get on a call, see their reaction on their faces, you know, and you can still have that interaction. Be Well, it's not that, you know, face-to-face, but, you know, it's, it's as good as. Mm-hmm. Nick, uh, you did mention that we shouldn't be uh, focusing on sticks only, but also on carrots. Uh, and in that case, it's hard to avoid not to talk about judges' choice of word. Because I think a lot of us agree that Fidelity International actually had an excellent entry and CEO Anne Richards also appeared during the awards themselves to um, emphasize that the policies that they've introduced in the last couple of years actually did have an effect. So I don't know if you would like to elaborate a bit more on that specific category and why Fidelity International actually deserved to win that one. Yeah, I mean, for, so the way that we approached it, obviously, we had all the citywide data, which was great, but we also have our own data as well. And, and we, we do a, an annual um, sustainable investment uh, questionnaire, which encapsulates a lot of uh, inclusion and diversity data ourselves. Um, and so what, what what we were able to do really was to manipulate our own data on, on things that were clearly relevant to gender diversity. Um, and Fidelity, you know, came up really, really well on, on that as well. Um, and so we were able to sort of corroborate because they, they clearly scored well on the citywide data as well. And so we were able to corroborate those two things. Um, and then we just sort of tweaked some of the things that we, that we think are, are particularly important. 
maternity, paternity, um, definitely being being right up there, but gender pay gap as well um, as a, as a stat that that's um, that's particularly important, that, which they they scored well on compared to peers and um, a couple of other things as well, which we included and we sort of summed them, did a little bit of a quantitative type type thing, and yeah, and then fidelity came up really well. You know, we we know them well. Um, we don't actually have a, a lot of ratings with Fidelity at all across our Reddington platform, but we do we do speak to them and we do we, you know we do we do think they're a well-run company, um, and you know we so we had our own insights as qualitative insights alongside the data as well, and so that will form the view really. Excellent. Um, just to pick your brains, actually, Nick, um, as um, and. So as Anne Richards has come in as CEO, have you seen a change in the gender dynamics within the company with having a female CEO? Do you think that's an important aspect or not? I think it helps. I think it just takes a bit, a bit of a while to play out. Um, you know, someone comes in and they can they can start to, to, to move these things around, but it just takes a long time to to sort of turn the ship it's a bit of an oil tanker really um because because the, the problem is on on our side of the fence we don't really like change <laughs> so we're asking for evolution but actually at the same time we're kind of fearful of change so it's we're sort of really awkward uh, in terms of what we're after um so we wouldn't want necessarily to see teams being completely turned over you know, all the male PMs being fired and, and a whole raft of female PMs come in because whilst that would flatter the stats and that would look that would look nice, it would be horrific from an investment point of view because suddenly all of these different things would have to um, be changed. The the all the prior track records would be rendered useless and irrelevant and um, it would be incredibly disruptive for the business. So actually we need to see slow evolution actually um and and just that year on year improvement really um before before you know we can get to a point which which we're we're all happy with and when collect you know it, from an industry point of view we're still miles away from that and therefore it's going to take years at this point but but we, that's why we need to have the pressure on you know these rewards need to happen every year and eventually we'll get there but it's just going to take a long time yeah, as as you said, Nick, it's not about replacing those male fund managers who are already in their positions and are doing very well. And I wouldn't want, for example, in my pension, you know, those managers to move because yeah. they're doing very, very well. Um, simple as that. And they have, on you know, their own merits, been you know, they're in that position they are at that moment. Um, but what it, it, I think as we've alluded to before as well, it's the pipeline that's coming through now exactly. and working its way through over, and it has been over through the years. And I think that's that was one of my main reasons of choosing Fidelity International as a judge's choice is just watching that pipeline, you know, coming through, very, it's coming through slowly. It, it is, a, you know, it's not the leaps and bounds that we really want it to at the moment, but at least it is going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. I think For both that. of you are very clear on the fact that it has to be an evolution rather than revolution necessarily. But if we want to avoid this kind of like slapdash diversity efforts, what should we pay attention to? Or what should fund buyers, for example, pay attention to? Is that how they promote talent internally? Is that how they are hiring or combination of the two? Nick, um, if you would like to start. Well, our focus is very much on the investment team and the the real decision makers. Therefore, on the on the products that we're strat- uh, that we're putting ratings on the products and strategies. So we're very strategy focused, and we uh, our own survey is focused on that 
specific products. So we'll send the survey out. If we've got five products that we're interested in with a manager, we'll get them to fill them out five times because each one's a different product, different PMs, different investment teams. And therefore, we want the, there should be different answers to those questions. Um, what, what you often see is that uh, the overall firm is trying to flatter the headline numbers, like gender pay gap, for instance, um, across the board. And of course, there's a number of different departments in an asset manager. You have sales and marketing functions, you have um, operations, settlements, performance, risk, all of those other areas, which are all you know, important functions. And there is information and it's important that, that gender is fairly represented across all of those. But ultimately, an asset manager lives or dies by the success of the investment products that they're running. And you really want to see a fair representation of, of you know, a diverse thought process going into those products, because that's going to mean the best outcomes for, for the underlying investors. And that, that means fair representation of women, fair representation of races, um, all sorts of, you know, diversity in all of its if it, all of its forms is really, really important. And so that's why we concentrate on that, because it's, it's relatively easier to hire and flatter the numbers outside of the investment team. Um, it's harder to do so in, in the investment team itself. So that's really important. Um, for us, and then and then really, it's a it's you know as Nisha was saying, it's it's about asking them about the pipeline. You know, where are you getting your graduates from? Um, are you hiring school leavers? What are you doing to attract female talent to this to this firm? Um, and and just trying to get a feel for how it's going to look in three, five, ten years time. Mm-hmm. Nisha, uh, anything to add on that? Yeah. Yes, um, just on the tick boxing thing as well. You know, at the end of a day those firms will be caught out because investments is all about making money for your clients. And if they're not doing their job, you know, you can see that that split was only to, you know, satisfy certain, you know, industry, the industry, basically. So at the end of the day, we have to still go back to the right person has to be in the job. Diversity of thought, you know, within that investment team is so important that you can have better outcomes. And many academic reports have, you know, suggested that. And even some of our own research, I'm sure, Nick, you've seen as well from your own research that, you know, it, it is a big investment in your, you know, team to have that diversity um, just for future outcomes. Mm-hmm. And I think our conversation naturally gravitated towards investments. And what I found interesting when assassin responses is how they interact and engage with companies on those very same kind of like issues, companies they invest in, obviously. And I felt like there were a couple of instances where resolutions were filed on gender diversity of the board, etc., but it wasn't passed, or they haven't generated a, a new proposal, for example, at the company. So what do we think is happening in here? Uh, where is the bottleneck? Why aren't there many more um, proposals at companies to like increase gender representation? Or why do some of them fail at the end of the day? I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, we, we, we've seen that in our, in our data as well, in that uh, managers agree that diversity is good and that it's an important factor. Uh, and then we ask them, well, okay, do you then factor it into your investment process? And, and then the numbers then sort of start to fall a little bit. Um, it's sort of roughly half do, half don't across different asset classes. And then, then we say, well, give me an example of um, how diversity has made a, a change to one of your investment decisions. And then, and then we're down in like the 20%. And, and, and so it's just, it's clear that it's not, 
making a, a, a real difference to to the actual ultimate buy and sell decision in a, in a portfolio, be it equity, credit, property, you know, whatever. Um, and I mean, I, I, I'd, I'd be guessing, but I, I just I just think it falls behind um, more fundamental issues along valuation or sentiments, um, ESG, but but very much. E is the focus right now in 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 across the across the planet. You know, environmental issues are are dominating for for very good reason, um, and it, and it just feels that 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 something like diversity is just that little bit further down the list. I think um, at the moment, and you know, it, it needs to start to to make its way up a, a bit higher. Mm -hmm. No, it's completely understandable. And Nisha, have you noticed that as well when you were looking at the responses? Um, yes, absolutely. I think what surprised me was, um, as you mentioned as well, it's the resolutions and what they've voted on, you know, how, you know, how many times do they go back and, you know, put that same resolution forward. Um, but it also is not just that fund manager, it's a whole group of investors. So, you know, it's who is voting for what. And it's getting that mind, I guess the thought process within those investors of a particular fund, for example, you know, having that backing of, you know, one versus you know having 10 you know backing that i think that's where it's going to that's where the change is going to be i think it's the education process of the importance of having diversity metrics in your investment selection process and the more we can get that you know integrated into you know fund managers or their investment objectives as we are seeing i mean it's been a huge rise in esg investing even if it's just at the moment with the E side, I think the social side, the S has kind of, it has lagged a lot and that's where your diversity is coming from, but also the governance with the diversity and inclusion on boards, et cetera. So, but the S part, if we start focusing on that, I think that can make massive inroads in also your um, investment returns as well. So if you're looking at health and safety, you're looking at product recalls, for example, a reputational damage, you know, you're keeping your employees and retaining your talent, which is the, you know, for a, in financial services, that's your fund managers, for example, you know, it makes a big difference in how your, your business goes forward with business sustainability and more the fund managers can be asking those questions to their you know, the companies that they're investing in, that's where we're going to start seeing the change. If everyone starts asking the same questions, then people cotton on, the companies will cotton on, actually, we need to do something about this. We need to be more proactive of changing our board structure or, you know, bringing in, as we said before, the pipeline, even at those companies, not just in fund management, in with other industries as well. I think um, ESG integration is a good, good example, actually, because... Um, the, if, you, if you think about ESG integration historically, even the most cynical fund managers now integrate ESG into their process. Five years ago, you know, we were having these conversations, and, and a number of managers were saying, "Oh no, we don't, we don't, we don't do ESG. We can't do it in our strategy." Now everybody does it, and it just takes a while for these things to filter through. They they realise, even if it's just purely self-preservation, they realise that actually they're going to lose assets unless they can describe how they're doing this to their client base. And you could see the same thing um, happening here. You know. We're all, we're all now demanding that our fund managers engage better with their underlying companies, and we want them to engage on topics like the environment and um, social issue, issues, human rights, um, diversity issues. 
even the most cynical fund managers will realize that actually they have to get on and start doing this or they're going to lose assets at some point. But it just takes a while to sort of percolate through. And so I think I'm sure it will, I'm sure we'll get there. It'll just take a while. I'm worried about small heroes, because obviously when you're a big asset management company, then you do naturally have a bit more resources to actually tackle the issue. And automatically as well, because you are so big, you will attract a diverse pool of talent compared to smaller firms, for instance. So based on what we've seen in the questionnaires and the winners that we've got, some of them are just phenomenal, like Kaisha Bank Asset Management reached parity, which I think they are the only ones in their size category by a long mile. Um, so Nick, I was wondering, when firms are smaller, what can we do? What can they do specifically to improve the situation? And how can they ever compete with the bigger peers, let's say? Well, I, I mean, I like the way Citywide divided up by size of firm, actually, because you're obviously trying to get around that that issue by still um, representing the, the smaller firms who don't have the resources, as you, as you say, which is, which is important. I think their advantage is that they're, they're probably more nimble in terms of their decision-making. So they can, once they've made a decision to actually make a change, they can they can enact it quicker than, than a large asset manager. Um, so they, there is an advantage there. And then typically they'll have fewer positions probably um, that they own ac- across the piece. Um, so if they are engaging, they'll, they'll, they'll be engaging on fewer names, uh, be it credits or equities. So... Um, there, there, they, there probably is a need for enhanced resources, um, more uh, engagement specialists probably needed across the across the board. Um, and make, but, but, but for a smaller firm, it might be that they need to hire one or two people. Whereas if you're a you know multinational trillion dollar asset manager, you've probably got a team of fifty or sixty at this point. You know, um, but it's all proportionate. So, you know, I think they can do it. Their influence is probably not going to be as big. But, but you know, if we all thought like that, then none of us would vote in a general election, right? Because, you know, my vote's not really worth much, is it? It's only one vote. But, but we, we, can't, we can't all think like that. Otherwise, nothing would work. So even the smallest firm has to, uh, has to do their bit. Um, and, and they've got to see it that way. Mm-hmm. Nisha, and from your experience, have you noticed any kind of like interest in trends when it comes to smaller firms and what actually helps them along and the ones that are ahead of the crowd? What is that they're doing differently? I think it's it's for smaller firms as well, it's a learning process. It is, you know, getting in the right people, but also because they are smaller firms, um, the percentage differences can, you know, be quite different. So one person leaving with one person coming in, you know, compared to a bigger company with thousands of employees compared to, you know, a smaller with a hundred employees. So percentage differences can make a, you know, huge difference, just one person leaving. But um, one thing about the smaller companies is, as Nick was saying, they can make the changes quicker. They see, identify a problem. It doesn't have to go through many loopholes, you know, within, you know, a company as in with big asset management firms just to get that decision, which may even take six to six months to eight months, you know, or even longer to get to that decision. Whereas a smaller company can enact that decision within two or three months, you know, and then it's visible. And I think with the smaller companies, for example, Kaisha Bank, who has reached parity as well, you know, with the hiring um, processes that they might, you know, they have implemented uh, with the pipeline for them coming through. But also being a Spanish bank, there are some cultural differences. So this was, you know, at the global awards. Um, So you do see some cultural differences with childcare, for example, within the home. Um, In different countries, we 
you can see that, for example, in Asia, we've got a higher percentage of female fund managers. But that's also because of, you know, your extended family living with you, you've got that childcare support in some many instances. So you have to start, you know, that's where the qualitative assessment really does come in and where the judges, where all of us were able to, you know, sift out all those, what was making the differences on that. Um, but yeah, as Nick said, it, it really is the nimbleness of being a smaller company that you can change quicker. And maybe that's why we're seeing more figures, you know, so much higher than the bigger asset management groups, which it will take a while to get close to those numbers. And when we talk about diversity, obviously in the context of gender diversity, words it is logically about gender, but diversity at large is not just that. Uh, the thing is, I think we do fall a bit in this ESG kind of trap where E overweights everything else, even with diversity, and we end up talking about gender a lot, but not other aspects of it. Well, there are reasons for for that, but Nick, I wanted to talk to you about the survey that Reddington actually did at the end of last year. I think it's a sustainable investment survey where we looked at diversity efforts of third-party managers, but that wasn't just about gender yeah. issues. You also asked them about ethnicity representation, I think even sexuality. So what were the key takeaways and maybe even things that surprised yeah. you when you received the responses? Uh, I think one of the big takeaways was that firms aren't measuring this data. Um, and so quite a number of the questions we asked, uh, they, they, they couldn't come back. Um, in some, some jurisdictions, they weren't allowed to actually c compile the data and, and therefore couldn't answer along those, those lines. But in, in many, they just didn't actually ask these questions at all. We kind of knew that that was the case, um, but but we but one of the important things I think in, in on our side of the fence is that until you start asking the questions, then people won't actually start coming up with the answers. And so, just the act of asking the questions will then trigger a thought process back at the asset manager. Ah, maybe maybe we should start to compile this data, or or oh, if we did compile this data, we'd look pretty bad, I think. And um, and so that just that act in itself is is quite powerful, I think. Um, where we did have the data, it was just a, a very similar sort of pattern. You know, it, it, it was both both on the racial and the and the gender. In that, um, the asset managers agreed that more diversity is better, um, and that uh, that but their, that their own team makeups did not necessarily represent the um, communities that they were based in, uh, and so. That that was a pretty big gap that that we noticed, and then we're asking questions along the lines of, you know, what are you doing about it, and and and, and all of that that kind of stuff. Um, so it just feels like there's still a very long way to go um, on on both both racial and and gender diversity within within fund management. It, it definitely and and it, and it changes a little bit by asset class as well, changes a little bit by geography, and we we were able to slice and dice it across across all of those those areas and. You know, some asset classes are worse than others. Um, and all of that's very interesting. And then we use that data in our own engagement with those fund managers. And we go back and we say, look, you know, you're scoring pretty badly here. You, you should know that. Um, and as I said earlier, we're not expecting revolution here. But, but you know, it is something we are going to expect you to try and mitigate this and, and have it and start to come up with a plan to, to do something about it. Um, because that's the only way that we can we, we can really achieve it, you know. And and even, we 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 turn the light back on ourselves as well. So we're not happy with our own representation. Still, you know, our, our gender pay gap number was was pretty good, but it could still get better. We're still working on that, for instance. 
Um, we've been working with a number of different initiatives here in the UK to try and improve our own recruitment processes. Um, our co-founder launched the 10,000 Black Interns campaign, um, for instance, um, Dawid Kanatiahulu. So we obviously participated in that and that, that's been very successful. Um, we're involved with the diversity project and various upreach programs. And, and it's just trying to encourage the asset management community to also do that as well um, alongside us. And, and you know, hopefully in the long term, we can improve. But you know, it's just going to take a while. I, and I just wanted to add to that why... Yeah, exactly. That's um, why these surveys are so important in the industry. It's um, the starting point of conversations that you might not have had before. And it's just ingraining those ideas that, you know, perhaps we should start, you know, talking about these issues. And that's where you start, as you said, Marguerite, as well. You have to start somewhere. And that's exactly what we did with gender diversity. You know, you have to start somewhere. It has come forward, but now it's time to tackle other areas as well to get you know, to the level we are now, that we are with gender. Mm-hmm. Nick, uh, so in your survey, multi-asset and alternative managers, I think, were lagging behind even equity peers in terms of all well, diversity engagement. So what do you think is happening in there? Why they, they are specific laggards? Um, I, I think, yeah, on the engagement side, I think they're probably using more um, synthetic instruments. So uh, futures in particular, um, option strategies where there isn't necessarily an obvious engagement uh, counterparty to to talk to. Uh, you, you can engage perhaps with the investment bank that you're trading with, and um, but it's but it's more limited than going out and getting access to a corporate, which you would do in a more long only strategy. Um, you know, you're owning that that equity uh, for well, in, perhaps forever, depending on your investment strategy, or if you're um, participating participating in a bond issuance, you're buying a 10-year bond, and so you're going to have a relationship with that firm when they come to refinance. And so your your time frame is that much longer, and therefore engagement is a bit more worthwhile um, in, in in some of those more higher turnover hedge fund style strategies. That's just not the case. And so it's just not been as big a focus, I guess, for those, for those groups. Um, and, you know, that's Fine, I think that makes sense. Uh, but the, the, there's still an appropriate level, and, and there is still influence that they can have, and so we're we're still nudging those groups as well to to think more about it. Mm-hmm. Nick, Nisha, thank you very much for joining me today. An excellent conversation, and I think we I feel like we only scratched the surface here, but that hopefully gives us an opportunity to take it further next time. Thank you very much. Great, thanks for having us.